0: Don't you toot at night, pretty baby. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I think I must have misheard you. You want me to play what song? Don't you toot at night, pretty baby. My name is Tommy Cummins, and I'm on the student team here at Plum Creek. And just a couple of years ago, I was driving in the car with my daughter, who at the time was two and a half years old, And a couple minutes after we got started on our trip, she said, Daddy, can we please listen to some music? I said, absolutely, what do you wanna listen to? That's when she hit me with that enigma. Don't you toot at night, pretty baby. Now, I was way too confused in the moment to recognize it, but this was actually one of the best examples I have ever seen of a phenomenon known as a mondegreen. Now, if you've never heard of that term, a mondegreen is a phrase that results from mishearing or misinterpreting a statement, but it's most commonly linked to mishearing or misinterpreting song lyrics. There's some classic examples of mondegreens out there, like Credence Clearwater Revival's Bad Moon Rising, which many people think says, there's a bathroom on the right. Listen to it. good information to have in any situation, right? But clearly, what it actually says is there's a bad moon on the rise. Now listen to it. And the interesting thing about mondegreens is that if you hear it incorrectly the first time, it's really hard to then go back and hear it the right way any time after that, or vice versa. If you know what it actually says, it's kind of hard to hear, even though other people might swear, I promise, that's what it says. Take this example from Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind, which many people thought he was saying, the ants are my friends. Listen to it.
1: The answer, my friend
0: Which that one kind of makes sense Because the next line of the song They're blowing in the wind Like, yeah, ants kind of blow around in the wind I suppose
1: But he's saying
0: The answer, my friends Listen to it now The answer, my friend Right? Or if you're a uh, a fan of the TV series Friends, you may already be familiar with Phoebe's classic Mondagreen about the Elton John song, which she thinks says, Hold Me Close, Young Tony Danza. Here it is. Hold me closer, tiny dancer. But it's not a love song to Tony Danza. He's saying, Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer. Listen now. There's actually a more modern example of this, too, in Taylor Swift's, uh, one of her newer songs called Blank Space, which a lot of people thought she was saying, got along with Starbucks lovers. Listen to it. That was pretty good, right? And we should, we should get along with Starbucks lovers, even though they have bad taste in coffee, but... Sorry, I had to get a little shot in there. Um, So many people thought that was a statement about Starbucks lovers that she had to come out with a statement of her own, clarifying that the actual lyrics are, got a long list of ex-lovers. Listen to it. Got a long list of ex-lovers. Right? Which I'm um, surely together we can, we can find a nice man that Taylor Swift can marry. Everything will be okay, right? So, mondegreens typically result in some pretty humorous situations as people misinterpret song lyrics. So, back to the car two years ago with my daughter. Sweetheart, I, besides that being something that I say to your mom every night before we go to bed, I just can't think of what song you're trying to say. (laughs) If you need me tonight, you can find me on the couch, by the way, okay? (laughs) Um, Are are there any other lyrics? Like, what, what else? Give me something else so we can try to figure out what song you want to listen to. She thought for a second, and then she said, Look around your world, pretty baby. And I instantly knew she was talking about the 1995 song Roll to Me by Della Mitri. But it took my brain a few moments to process what in the world part of that song do you think says, Don't you toot at night, pretty baby. But when it hit me, I could hardly falter. I mean, listen to this. It's there, right? Listen to it one more time. (laughs) Especially for a two and a half year old, it's hard to argue with, with her logic there. The actual lyrics to the song are, don't try to deny it, pretty baby. Now listen to it. I'm really, really sorry, first of all, for doing that to you because now you're never going to be able to hear that song again without thinking, don't you toot at night, pretty baby. But the good news is that I'm pretty sure this is the first time that song has been played since 1999, so there's a good chance you're never going to hear it again in your entire life. Mondegreens, they typically result in some pretty humorous statements, and they're usually pretty harmless. Unless, of course, when it comes to worship music, because the lyrics to the songs that we sing when we come together and worship corporately and sing to God, those lyrics are incredibly important. In fact, I would go as far as to say they might, more than anything else, influence our theology or what we think about God, what we believe to be true about God the lyrics to the songs we sing might influence that more than just about anything else. Case in point, I don't believe that anyone has ever completely memorized the words to a sermon that I've preached. In fact, just a couple of weeks from now, I will remember the main point of this sermon and maybe very little else other than Don't You Toot at Night, Pretty Baby. It's because... The song lyrics, the, the music that we listen to. In fact, last week, um, I'm forgetting his name, Chad Brueggemann, he said to us that music has a way of driving words deep into our souls. I'm guessing that if pressed, every single person in this room would be able to come up with at least a couple of words to Amazing Grace. Many of us would probably be able to sing at least a portion of any given worship set on a given weekend without having to look at the screens to see the lyrics. Of course, the songs that we sing shape what we believe about God because those are the words that stick with us more than just about any other words. And again, when we misinterpret Or probably more typically, when we fail to reflect at all on the songs that we sing together, when we come together and worship God, we're not only missing one of the biggest pieces to worship, but we're also doing ourselves a grave disservice Because if we don't take the time to actually think about the lyrics to the songs that we are seeing, it makes it incredibly difficult for us to take time to reflect on those words and ultimately to be called to action by them as they are shaping what we believe about the God in whose image we were made in the first place. And that's really what worship is all about, responding to who God is as well as to what God has done. Take for example the song that we just sang, this great Hillsong United song, So Will I, which we're going to kind of be breaking this down together today. This is such a great call to action within this song, which is present in every great worship song, but it's also so theologically rich as it's basically a 20,000-foot bird's-eye view of the story of God's redemption. Starting from before the very beginning of time is, is where the song starts, and it begins in this first verse with a reflection on the absolute power Of God, it says, God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. Again, it starts with this image of a God who is so powerful that the expansiveness, the grandeur of the universe can simply be spoken. Into existence, bringing order to the chaos that is represented by the water in Genesis chapter 1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. From the very beginning, the absolute power of God is on full display. And the best example that we see here of power might actually come at least as much in what is not said in these verses as it is in what is actually said. Because long before this was ever written down, as this was an oral tradition passed down from generation to generation, proclaiming this truth about God, at that time, there were lots of different other um, creation narratives of explanations of how the world came to be. And all of them, except for Genesis, they have one thing in common, which is seeing multiple cosmic entities battling one another one of them eventually wins and they win the authority and they win the power to then be able to create the known world but that is not case not the case with our god with the one true god he does not have to win or take power or authority from anyone else all of the authority all of the power is already his which means with a single word that is spoken Life, creation, begins to happen. He simply speaks, and it is so. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so Will I? Certainly in the creation narrative, but also just looking at creation itself, we cannot help but see the power of God at work. And to that end, in this first verse that we're singing together, we're declaring publicly with and to one another, I will respond to God's power with worship. If we take a good look at Genesis chapter 1, But also if we just take a good look at God's creation, it ought to stir something deep inside us to the point that the only appropriate response is to worship the God that we see at work. But the danger that we we see documented in Romans 1.25, and we see it happen all around us all the time, In fact, we ourselves are tempted to fall into these patterns, no matter where we are on this journey. It says, They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. It's the Creator who is worthy of our worship, not the creation And yet we have this tendency, again, to fall into these patterns of worshiping things that are really just creation. Things, certainly, but people, power, influence, wealth, these things can take the focus of our worship as they draw our attention away from God. And yet it makes so much sense And it's so logical that, of course, the creator precedes the creation. So, of course, it's only ever God that is worthy to be worshiped and worthy of our praise based on who he is, first and foremost, but also what he has already done. And the clear response to our God is worship. But after we declare that we will respond to God's power with worship, the song continues and says, God of your promise, you don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath, evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say, every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, then so... Will I? If the first verse of this song is a reflection on God's power, then the second verse of this song is a reflection on God's authority. And regardless of how you read the creation narrative, whether you're a short earther or a long earther, whether you are a strict creationist, or if the idea of evolution doesn't necessarily threaten your view of God's design, no matter what, I believe we can all agree. On this one thing, that God is the ultimate authority. He is the God of the infinite and the infinitesimal. Even the winds and the waves obey his every command, but also the, the gluons and the quarks operating according to his design at a level that we cannot even observe because it's too small. All of creation acting according to his design, bowing to his authority. And so in this second verse, together we proclaim, I will respond to God's authority with obedience. Because what sets us apart from the rest of creation that does bow to his authority is that we are the sole image bearers of God. We are the only ones, man and woman, that were created in his image. And that unique privilege comes with a unique gift: the gift of choice, of free will. We are the only part of God's creation that has the ability to choose whether or not we are going to respond to God's authority. We are the only ones that get to choose how we are going to bow, how we are going to respond to his design. And the truth is that our in our sense of ever increasing postmodern thinking, right? we really don't like the concept of authority very much anymore. We certainly as a society do not respond to authority or the concept of obedience the same way people did even 100 years ago. And yet, obedience to God is incredibly important in so much as it is through obedience despite our option to disobey that we are able to better and better reflect the nature of the God in whose image we were created. It is through obedience to Jesus' command that we can shed the old sinful nature and clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Jesus. And that process of deepening our relationship with him and learning to better reflect him more and more only happens Through obedience. He says that to his disciples in John 14, 15. He says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And of course, the clearest commandment that he gave happened just moments earlier, on that very same night, the night before he was crucified, when he told his disciples, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should have you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, the last time I preached, we dove a lot deeper into these verses and into this concept. But man, that is a tall order. In fact, it might feel downright daunting when we consider how Jesus loved, but when we also consider how broken and sinful we are. But here's what's important to remember when it comes to obedience, when it comes to worship, really every aspect of our faith journey. In fact, this is so important. It's our main thought today. So I would encourage you to write this down. God wants progression, not perfection. God wants progression, not perfection. And you don't have to look any further than to the disciples to recognize this truth. Jesus certainly did not choose these guys because they were perfect. They were all very deeply flawed individuals. They were completely imperfect. He didn't choose them because of their capacity for perfection. He chose them because he saw potential for progression within them. And the same is true for us. God does not want progression. I'm sorry, he doesn't want perfection. He wants progression. In other words, it's okay not to be okay. It's one of our pillars that we've identified for ourselves right here at Plum Creek that we are all people in process. And we are all at different points in that process. And that is totally fine. It's completely okay to be where you are right now. Depending on your background, you will tend to fall towards one end of the spectrum or the other. Either your background will lead you to the perfection end of the spectrum, where you feel compelled to try to earn God's love and grace and favor and forgiveness or your background will lead you to the other end of the spectrum where you will be tempted to cheapen the grace that God provides by never making a single concerted effort to grow and to look more and more like him and less and less like the sin of the world around us. But the truth is that neither extreme on this spectrum are a healthy place to land because God wants progression but he doesn't require perfection. 2 Corinthians 3:17 and 18 says, "For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil, the veil of sin, removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed. That word changed is in the present continuous, meaning we are continually being changed into his glorious image. My daughter, Lainey, started trying to take her first couple of steps just two weeks before her first birthday. And in this room, we we had our our small group with us on the night in question. These were our absolute best friends in the world. And so surrounded by friends who were way more like family, my wife stood and held Lainey under the armpits, put her feet on the floor, and I sat just outside of her reach, beckoning her onward. Come on, Lainey, you can do this. You can do it. Come on. And the entire room sat with bated breath as Lainey went step, step, fall. And when she fell, something really interesting happened. The entire room simultaneously burst out into jeering and scoffing and booing and hissing at her failure. I myself said, you idiot! You can't take more than two steps without falling? You're such a freaking failure! Okay, hopefully it's obvious that I'm just kidding. That's not what really happened. You don't have to call Child Protective Services, okay? Lainey went step, step, fall. And the entire room erupted in applause and cheering and whooping and hollering because we were not mad or disappointed that she fell. We were so incredibly proud that she took the steps. Now I hope that I'm a good dad. I know that my wife Mindy is an amazing mommy. But despite how much we love that little girl, it absolutely pales in comparison to the way that God loves you. God wants progression, not perfection. And it's progression not for God, but progression with God, which means that that when we fall He's there just like I was doing for my daughter for the next couple of weeks as she learned to walk. Come on, let's let's go. Let's pick you back up. You've got this. I know you can do this. Just keep coming. Just keep coming towards me. You're gonna get better. I know you're going to fall several times along the way, but that's okay. We're just trying to take more and more steps in between those falls as we grow. Just keep coming. I know that you can do this. I believe in you. I know it's gonna happen because I'm gonna be there every step of the way with you. You don't have to do it alone. God says, I have sent you an advocate and a helper that is gonna help you through that journey every single step of the way in the Holy Spirit. In fact, in this verse that we just read in 2 Corinthians, we read that it very clearly states that it's the Holy Spirit that changes us. It's not us, it's the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. And God does not want progression. Or sorry, he doesn't want perfection. He wants progression. God of salvation, you chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. What a great picture of hope. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways for every person on earth. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Again, such an amazing picture of hope and surrender and the lengths that God is willing to go to in order to pursue us. And in this final verse, a declaration that we won't hold God's grace to ourselves or keep it a secret, but we will share it because I will respond to God's grace By sharing it. I mean, how could we not? When we've experienced such incredible love and life change that he offers. In fact, this was so important that it was the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he left. Therefore, go into all the world and every nation and make disciples. And certainly we need to go to every nation. And we have opportunities to do some of that right here through missions at Plum Creek. But if you're not quite ready to go across the globe, how about starting with your neighbor? Or your classmates at school? Or your coworker? Or maybe those Instagram friends that you've actually never even really met in real life? This entire song is a call to action because that's what real worship requires is a response. Just look at the entire bridge of this song if the stars were made to worship so will i if the mountains bow in reverence so will i if the oceans roar your greatness so will i for if everything exists to live you high lift you high so will i if the wind goes where you send it so will I. The wind doesn't have a choice, I do, and I'm still going to choose your will over mine. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. Jesus said, listen, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would cry out in their place. Jesus is worth every bit of our worship and praise. That means that even if no one else does it, I'm fine standing completely alone praising the God that we serve. And if the sum of all our praises still shy, and it will, because around the throne of God, 24-7, there are angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and they will continue to do so for eternity, because no matter how much they sing it, it will never amount to how true it is, and it will never amount to how worthy our God is. So then sing again a hundred billion times. It's not about moments. It's a reminder that worship is a lifestyle. It's intentionally honoring God with our words, our time, our calendars, certainly with our songs, but maybe even more importantly with our relationships. Because God wants progression, not perfection. And because of that, the more we practice these things, the more we will recognize that worshiping is not just something we do, but worshipers are who we are, with every aspect of our lives being opportunities to worship and glorify God. As Chad Brigham said last week, we inhale truth and we exhale praise. If you are able, will you please stand with me? The band's going to come out and lead us in a few songs because rather than just talking about responding to God, I think we ought to take a moment to actually respond to him. We just inhaled some truth, so let's exhale some praise. And this time of response It's only worth doing if we make sure that it's not a mondegreen moment of tuning out the words and completely misinterpreting the point of why we're here. And making sure that we are reflecting and absorbing and allowing these words to shape what we believe about God to the point that we cannot help but respond in action even in worship itself, but again, in every aspect of our faith journey, God is not looking for perfection. He's just looking for progression. And this is an opportunity for us to progress right now as we lift him high. So let's be intentional as we worship God together.